Welcome to Con Langery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. And with me over in Germany, we have C.D. Covington. Hi. Yeah. Uh, so I had you on. You have a column for Tor that covers mm -hmm. um, science fiction and fantasy stuff for um, from a linguistic perspective. And you've yeah. got a YouTube channel that covers the science fiction, fantasy, linguistics. But the most sort of important thing that we were, we were going to, the, the most like pressing thing that we were going to cover is you are writing a book mm -hmm. about world building, linguistic world building for science fiction and fantasy properties. So um, I... Maybe we can start out with what is your background in linguistics and how did you get interested in this topic? It's sort of related to conlanging. I'm sure you encounter conlangs yeah. as you are talking about all this stuff, but also like a broader world building thing. So like, how did you get interested in this and involved in this and, you know, give us a little bit of a background there. Yeah, um, I got my master's in linguistics from the University of Georgia in 2019. I wrote about German verbs. Um, but I've been reading science fiction since I was 12 or something. And I've been writing since forever. And I started writing science fiction uh, about 20, 25 years ago, maybe more seriously than I had been when I was, you know, a kid. And I love reading, obviously, and I was just finishing up my master's when I had the idea that I could write about linguistics in science fiction, because I was reading a lot of, well, I, let's see, Arrival had come out fairly recently, and um, The Expanse was just airing for the first time on TV, and you can see, like, the, yeah. the Belta slang, Belta Creole, yeah. and I was like, well, maybe I could do something interesting with this yeah. and i was like i wrote a little pitch and they were like yeah sounds great so i wrote about arrival because it was kind of part of my pitch and wrote about the expanse i wrote about um babel 17 from chip delaney from the 70s oh, it's like the computer like it's a computer language that is being taking over people's brains and turning them into like i don't know computer it was a very it was a chip delaney book basically it's very strange okay uh, it was very well written it was just also very uh the brain is a computer and can be literally programmed by this programming language that this this alien language is gonna like um well it's fiction <laughs> right yeah. it's gonna like well it's fiction that was a lot of is how i answer a lot of things well it's fiction but um one of my favorite book series is cj cherry's foreigner series mm-hmm and she's not a super conlanger, but she does invent at least surface level um, languages for her books. Um, do you I, feel you the, with her? Uh, I, I have read one of her works. I think mostly what she focuses on is like these interpreters, right? Yeah, in the foreigner series, that yeah. Are, that are 
between the aliens and the humans and have to mm-hmm. like navigate the culture and the language. But yeah, it's yeah. it's sort of everything's represented as English except for some isolated words, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And she has she ref, uh, refers frequently to the structure of their language and how their like their verb forms require various math, lots of math cuz you have to calculate the number of people that are involved in the situation. And that also includes the numerology of the room around you and all this other complicated math just to conjugate your verbs and get your pronouns right. And that's pretty cool, but probably not work in any sort of reality based anything, but it's really cool because they're aliens and they're very different than humans. They have different psychology, different biology. And that's one of the things that I'm going to get into a lot in my book, how the, how you can, do it, intercultural uh, communication is a big issue at most of her books, really. Um, but in Foreigner, especially, the whole way that people, the humans and the Atevi can't, they don't understand the word friend. Atevi don't have the concept of love or friend or like. They don't have the concept of uh, liking or loving or friendship or anything like that. They have manchi, which is sort of like a herding instinct that humans don't understand. So when they first met, the humans and the Atevi were like, oh, this is great. They're just a little bit weird, but they're like us, so it'll be fine. And the humans basically assumed that the Atevi would all be their friends. And the Atevi were kind of like, we'll, we assume they're going to learn manners someday. Humans never learn manners. There was like a war and it was great. Humans lost. And they're like, the, the Atevi said, you can stay on this island, stay over there. And while you're staying on your little island over here, you're going to give us the technology that you brought with you because you're from outer space. And we're not going to be living in our, they're in the steam age at the time. They had like steam locomotives. And part of the treaty was that the humans would share the technology, but it had to be translated into the Atevi's language using their math, <clears throat> which is a little bit different than human math because there's a lot more of it. They did all they do all the complicated math in their head. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So well, that's, that's part of how I got into the whole writing about linguistics and science fiction, because you really can. There's so much in there when people people who think about it do it. And I want to get more people to think about it. Yeah. I mean the that's an interesting thing when you're talking about alien psychology is it can be very much a wide open slate because you can predict, I, I said this on an earlier podcast, like you can, you can sort of predict some things about phonology by mm-hmm. knowing like what organs they have and what, mm-hmm. what kinds of either sounds or gestures they could produce. Right. Mm-hmm. But, the psychological aspect, we probably don't know enough about human brain structure influencing language to actually extrapolate out and figure out how alien brain structure would influence language, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we can probably have some foundational things about what language does and how it would have to work in order to function as a language, but otherwise it's pretty open. 
I I do so I did read a few of your articles for your con uh, I did read some of your column mm-hmm. uh, I have to take issue with your take on arrival or not mm-hmm. not arrival uh, with on embassy town uh-huh. from, from your video but uh <laughs> no I I mean it's just a matter of taste like mm-hmm. uh I think we agree that the language of the host is functionally impossible. It <laughs> could not happen. Uh, I I I was able to accept that because I felt like the book was self-aware about that, especially with the linguist character like pointing out like this this doesn't make any sense, and then mm-hmm. becoming obsessed with it. But for you, it just wasn't working. Yeah, uh, which is yeah, I think it just another didn't work. thing. Yeah, it's another thing to think about is. You know, like on this show, most of the time when I'm talking about things and the way I'm thinking about things, it's in terms of making a language naturalistic mm-hmm. and making the world building naturalistic. But what you were talking about with the Atevi, I think you you have some idea of balancing like the naturalism with the art of it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'm just keep, can we keep going back to CJ Cherry because she's, mm-hmm. she's really good at making aliens that aren't just like people that are painted blue or have pointy ears or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, like I love the Vulcans, but they're just like people with pointy ears and no feelings. Yeah. The, the one thing she does that I wish I could, in my own writing a lot better than I do is just develop these societies and they the way they work and then they're just so different from the way people work and she makes it believable that they make sense if that makes sense I don't even know if I'm asking you a question right now but um, <laughs> the so that, like the, the art part is figuring out how to make something realistic and believable that's not human, if that's what you're going for. If you're just going for making two different human societies on a secondary world planet or whatever, that's fine and different. But you can also, you can still kind of do this sort of thing because there's they won't have the might not have the psychological differences, but you know, whatever. Like the trick is getting your your world building down, right? So that's what I'm writing my book about. To get your your character, your your other culture, to seem plausible, and we I we know how to we know how to do that. Writers already do that in things like um, history and uh, geology, geography, not geology, geography. Maybe some do geology. I don't know. Your maps of your space stations. You know, like we think about that. Some people even throw in music and whatever. But what people don't really think about as much as I think would be cool is how people use language because that's something we do in day-to-day life like i don't i mean i'm a linguist i do think about it all the time but your average person probably doesn't sit around thinking about oh why is that sound like that and why is why did how does this dialect work how is that one compared to that dialect because that's like what i do all day not all day but your characters will be aware of this like you Gen- general uh, people watching this podcast or listening to it are 
aware that people people who sound like me are probably white, probably from the East Coast of the United States kind of thing, and probably getting developing, I don't know, precon not, I don't want to say prejudices, but sort of just a sort of like a picture in your head of me. And but if I talk kind of like the way I did, I lived in Georgia for four years and I lived in North Carolina for like 20 before that. So I did pick up a bit of Southern in my life and you get a different picture if you somebody talks like that, right? It's a different, it's a different person. And the, so we're aware of this. And if your characters are also aware of this, you're adding that extra layer of something cool. That like That's kind of the art that I'm trying to get to. I think people kind of add that extra layer of yeah. very similar thing. Similitude. I've never been able to figure out how to pronounce that word. But does that make sense? Yeah, yeah no, no. You're, you're <laughs> totally making sense. Uh, and I I totally agree. And I see, uh, I mean, you've pointed out places where authors have done very well with their linguistic world building. But very often it is like a side note. Mm -hmm. uh, just like something that is mentioned in a character description once and kind of left or or it is you know mentioned on the side sometimes there's very you know uh there's you know ways of describing language that i wish would go away i i i have said before when an author says a language is guttural, I do not know what mm. that actually means. Mm -mm. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, yeah, like they mean it sounds like German, probably, but like, I, but like, yeah, it's it's just you know, guttural kind of has a meaning in linguistics, but not really. Uh, and then yeah. the the. The languages, the real world languages that I have heard described as guttural are like, really? Mm. Like I've heard Cantonese described as guttural and I'm like, really? I'm not sure about that. But uh, yeah, there's there's so much like untapped potential in a lot of works for that. And, uh, you know, we're here, you know, my podcast is geared towards conlangers mm -hmm. and... There's a lot of linguistic world building that can go behind the conlangs, but you don't mm -hmm. necessarily have to have a full conlang, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, let's back up. So your plan for, for your book. So mm -hmm. what, what kinds of topics do, are you going to cover? And like, is there going to be mention of conlanging specifically, or is it going to be mostly just all of this like background sociolinguistic stuff? Yeah. So I will probably touch briefly on conlanging. I am not a conlanging expert, and there's definitely much better guides out there already in existence, and like they're all behind you on the shelf there, I think. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's. Yeah. Um, this one yeah yeah I, I think i'll probably I haven't really planned that part out yet i'll probably talk about a few that are like probably mentioned tolkien and like klingon and a couple of things of that and say hi people have done this you don't have to 
if you really want to go read this book, go read that book, go to this website and find the resources there. Here's a community. Have fun. Um, but yeah, what I what I'm gonna focus on the part I have not quite completely finished yet is I haven't done the morphology section yet because I'm like <sighs> um, is phonetics morphology and like morphology is really cool but I never take I didn't they didn't offer morphology class at Georgia when I was there so the only class I had was in morphology was phonology and morphology of German oh so it's very very specific I have a very 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 limited knowledge of morphology so I mean I need to find a nice textbook to bother or just be like here's here's how it works in English and German not really useful or broadly applicable um but so the verdict I've I've written the most of the phonetic section and so it's basically half of my semester of phonetics and phonology so the phonetics half in 10,000 words <laughs> <laughs> it's super crash course no prot, none of that. But and so, yeah. are you talking just like introducing people to phonetics, like mm -hmm. actual phonetics of human mm -hmm. language? Mm -hmm. uh, are you also talking about like speculative phonetics of mm -hmm. alien languages? Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a section that I do. I'm probably going to expand all of this in the future as well. Once I have a full draft together, I've, I want to talk about how mouth, like phonetics, the vocal tract is, is affected by in the phonetics is affected by the shape of the vocal tract, right? Because the mouth, the vocal tract is a tube and it's a, it's a differently shaped tube. It's a weird tube and the length of the tube determines what sounds you can make, blah, blah, blah. And the human mouth, the human, um, what's this called? Palate is uh, two, two and a half, three inches long. Mm -hmm. What if you have like a wolf man and you've got like a, now you've got like a four or five inch palette. How many more sounds can you make? How many more palettes, right, like right. stops can you do? How many more different tongue positions can you get? What if you're, you've got like jowly dog things. Actually, if you talk about Scooby-Doo in the draft I have right now, because <laughs> original <laughs> Scooby-Doo is actually probably not that far off from how a dog would talk if it could speak. Oh, really? That's what I'm, I'm thinking. Because, I mean, we don't have, you don't know. Great Danes can't speak. But they're jowly dogs. So you might notice, I'm going to talk about the 70s Scooby. I'm told the more modern Scooby sounds like an actual person talking, which is kind of not great. But so yeah. early Scooby, the one I grew up with, so it's like, ruh, ruh, raggy. And he doesn't mm -hmm. really round his lips very much. Oh, and. Okay. Yeah, because the Great Danes can't, they've got like a jowly, so they can't, they can't do this. They're just kind of jowly. And like using an R for that or a rotic for that, any sort of sound that the dog can't pronounce, why not? R is kind of just this default, we don't know. It's a rotic. Because <laughs> we don't, we don't know what, we don't know what R's are. It's just everything that's else. It's not a stop it's not a, anything else it's just an r sound so ruh ruh raggy kind of makes sense yeah um if you are if you do one thing when talking about like an alien language an alien mm -hmm. 
or a language for something that's not human. Um, how do you feel about the balance of like making it to like what that would actually sound like, what the actual creature would be able to do versus making things that won't lose a reader. Mm. And I, I understand that, you know, different writers might be, might have different thresholds on that, but like making it, you know, do you think you should be concerned about whether it's going to be pronounceable or comprehensible to the human reader or um, like focus more on like the accuracy of the physiology you're constructing? Mm, I think it depends on what you're trying to do with it and like, like your personal goals, I guess, with how you're writing it. And also if you ever want to get an ebook made or not an ebook, audiobook. Because if you're an audiobook narrator, you want them to be able to pronounce the letters, right? You don't want them to yeah. be like, uh, well, this is, uh, we can't do this sound. Or just like if they have, it's like there's a lot of um, like aliens that have extra uh, speech organs or whatever. And like it's some sort of resonance chamber. And you're like, well, we can't do resonance chamber with this human speaker here. So um have to do we'll just, some audio engineering on that. Yeah, we'll play with audio and ah, or just get like a kazoo or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> actually, that would be hilarious. Um, every time they have to do the thing that honk a kazoo, it's it's difficult. And I haven't figured out how, how I want to explain that yet. Um, that's in the future part of the book that I haven't written yet. Yeah, the like you want to be able to spell it for people. And that's part of part of that is deciding how you want to spell it, and that that's an author's decision. Yeah. And then you get into like, yeah, how, do we want it to be pronounceable? And I admit, there's a bunch of books that I've read, and the character names are just sort of look like a really bad Scrabble draw. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they do. So like, this is just a really bad Scrabble draw, and I just kind of look at them and I go like that's that name. And I just kind of remember it as that's that name for the rest of the book. And I'm like, I'm not going to pronounce it. It's just S and a bunch of letters or whatever. That's that works for me as a reader sometimes, but a lot of, maybe there's other readers who that wouldn't work for. They're like, no, I've been able to pronounce it. And yeah, it, it is hard finding that balance. And sometimes it's just kind of, well, I guess that's not my target audience. If they're just going to, skip it because they don't know how to pronounce a word you're like probably not my target audience but if it is your target audience target audience why can't i pronounce that they'll stick with you probably right because it and if right maybe if you're the kind of person who's writing that sort of book where you actually are thinking about a lot of these things or game situation or whatever maybe you're making it be more about language and maybe your audience is going to want to read that because they're interested in reading about language yeah. And it does depend on what the audience is. And the your thing about names, like, mm-hmm. you do have to have character names, right? And <laughs> Usually. it's reasonable to say that your character names 
if possible, are going to be from the language. There might be cases mm -hmm. where they are just impossible to render in Roman script, like they're from a sign language or the sounds mm -hmm. are too radically different and maybe you do translated names or something, but mm -hmm. usually you want to have character names from the language. Um, uh, you said that you're not really going to do a whole lot of mention of conlanging, but like one thing that could be useful, um, I don't know if you, you are going to mention it, is the, the concept of a naming language, where it's mm -hmm. just a limited conlang with just some phonology and morphology, just just so you can make names, right? Mm. Yeah, I think um, that's what I'm... I didn't know it was called that, so... Yeah, well, it's, it's nice to have some exchange of ideas. Yeah, yeah. I love learning things. That's why, that's why I'm here. Yeah, um, but, you know, that's that's something to, to make names within a culture consistent. Uh, mm. What about issues of like prestige dialects? And, mm. you know, you, you mentioned about having this world building set out can help with understanding about characters. Uh, well, here's, here's the question is that, so you have prestige in, in, in sociolinguistics, we have, mm -hmm. um, stereotypes about different dialects. Like one thing I would ask is what are your thoughts on how to convey character perceptions of that without necessarily endorsing the mm -hmm. idea that that's like a real thing, like, or mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's like a valid thing. Hmm. Yeah, because prestige. One one of my professors in grad school had a vendetta, personal vendetta against the word prestige. <laughs> um, anytime somebody mentioned prestige language, you're like, "There's no such thing as prestige." It's like, well, true, but because uh, the way I like to think of it is a prestige language. Like, prestige has nothing to do with the language itself. It's how society. It's something society right. gives to the language. Right. And. That's, it's a real concept and it's a real world thing and it's not a good thing, but it's a thing that exists and we have to deal with it just like everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> everything. everything. It's, it's a thing. We just, we live in society. We have to take, we don't have to take it, but you know, we have to deal with what we live with in this society we live in. And yeah. Um, in the book, I'm the novel I'm uh, revising. Well, I will be revising after I finish all of this. Because um, this is going to be my first priority of my Kickstarter funds. Um, getting is the main character, the two main characters are working class people. They're, they work in a waffle house, but it's in space. And they have to. They want to uh, save their favorite bar from being gentrified. So they crowdfund to um, get the license for it. And the, the way they talk is normal. 
I guess. I mean, it sounds normal to me. But then there's another person who they interact with who's a manager, and her her the way she speaks is just different. Like they, she speaks at a more academic level, which is how I talk half the, if I'm if I'm writing. That's my writing voice. She speaks in my writing voice, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny. Um, but so like that's kind of one way to do it. You can kind of I, I don't have anybody comment on it. I don't think I have any comment on it, but somebody could. But like that, you can do that kind of thing. Give characters different voices, different registers of formality, and maybe something somebody can comment on it. Like, wow, she talks fancy. And I don't know how to talk fancy like her. I'm glad she's dealing with all the fancy stuff because if we went up to them and started talking like us, they'd be they would ignore us because we sound uneducated because we just we just baristas mm-hmm. and waitresses. And so there, there are ways of doing that. Mm-hmm. And if you're like, if you're writing a book about language, which I also really endorse, I think it's a great thing to do because I want people, I want to read them. I want to read books about language. Um, is have people actually explicitly comment on it. Just kind of be like, if so, if it's somebody who has to register shift or style shift mm-hmm. in different locations, um, they can comment on, man, I hate putting on this voice. I hate putting on the businessman voice. I hate putting on the whatever yeah. voice kind of thing. Cause there's, yeah, like there's ways to do it. Yeah. Subtly and less subtly. Right, right, right. That's 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 yeah. a good point. Is the have have a character explicitly do that because there are people who have to think that way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's not necessarily always automatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is it is interesting to to think about like how would the characters be perceiving it? It has to be you know, from their perspective, but also, you know, maybe a variety of perspectives on what it is. Maybe some people buy into the prestige and other people like reject it or they are uncomfortable about it or recognize that it's arbitrary in some way. Um, Mm -hmm. It is. And, if you do, you know, write about linguistics in the story, that that's definitely something that I would like to see more of too. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, what else can we? Um, so, this book is going to be on a Kickstarter. When is that mm-hmm. Kickstarter kicking off? Um, August fifteenth. August. And it's going to run. Yeah, it's going to run for about for a month, so until September fourteenth or fifteenth, whichever thirty days ends up being. I'm not sure exactly how. Yeah, sort of counts that. Well, so, so uh, I will definitely get this up <laughs> before in time for people to contribute. Uh, mm-hmm. What is what is your like first goal for this Kickstarter? Uh, Fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred. Yeah. So. That's doable, guys. We can. Uh, I I don't know if my audience by by themselves can do this, but we, mm-hmm. we can try. Because yeah, the that's these publishing 
uh, Kickstarters tend to be pretty low because it's just you're just doing enough for what, like a print run or what? Um, it's both going to be there's ebook rewards and print and hardback. Yeah, and I've got some really cool limited edition rewards that I'm not going to spoil until it's launched. Um, <laughs> but I've also got like if you're not interested in the book tiers, I've got a three euro level. Everything's in euros because I'm in Germany. Um, that's going to be a collection of my tour essays. It's edited. And mm -hmm. the higher we back, the, the more we get funding we get, the more essays there will be. It'll be edited, have a nice little book cover, like all that kind of thing. Um, and it's only like, it's like, what, $4 right now, I think? Yeah. I'm not sure exactly well, exchange rate. That's, that's great. And uh, so, and it will be... Uh, a writer's guide to linguistic world building. Mm -hmm. um, that's. It sounds like something that a lot of my audience would be interested for doing the background world building mm -hmm. work behind the conlangs, uh, mm -hmm. and also for a lot of you know writers out there who are interested in how language interacts with the world and want to include that in their writing, which I mm -hmm. presume is your primary <laughs> audience. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's. Oh, yeah. Like I, I hoping to write a book that's interesting to more than people, more people than just writers, books and games and that sort of thing. Um, Cause I, I'm hoping to make this kind of like, I want to learn more about linguistics. Where can I start? And also, right. like, these are some really great books. What books does Connie like that did it well? What books can she right, recommend? Right, right. Um, CJ Cherry. CJ Cherry, A+. Plus. And... Um, Arkady Martin, also A+. Plus. Um, there's Lily Gwynn, but she's just amazing anyway. I don't think she did Link with the Girl Building. I just think she's an A-plus writer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, some of my favorite books that just are like... That do it really well, I think. And I've written about many of them for my tour column, actually. But, but like different examples and more detail. Yeah, a, a different uh, context. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, what really, what about like the integration? Okay, I need to, to think. When you're in, integrating this, this into the narrative, like, I know that there's going to be all kinds of different ways that it goes into the narrative. Like, how much, like, do you like things where the language is a part of the world building and it affects things, but it's like, like a secondary plot versus things like Arrival, where language is the, the, mm. the main thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like both. Um, yeah. One of the... Actually, I'm just going to grab this book off my shelf. It's out of print. I got it used. Harry Hellburner. Actually, I think it's back in print in ebook only. Um, I don't have my glasses on. I know that in this book, one of the things she did was I had a very big... Oh, no, it was, it was Heavy Time. So there's some books that she wrote in the 80s. Mm -hmm. which I had my glasses on. 
uh, but they they're they're very slangy in 1992, and a lot of the slangy is just very. It sounds like somebody from the 80s, mm-hmm. <laughs> super dated, but that's part of the world building because the uh, people who speak it are living on um, ships and they've got their own little thing going on. So they have their own little language and it's, it sounds kind of 80s, but it's also, oh God, on this page, I'm like looking at it, it says, the new readout says CAF, MKT, and MSFUNC. Priority MS was blinking. I'm like, oh, oh Christ. He keyed MS in the hash mark. And it's just keyed, right? He keyed the, the button. Like, he keyed the button. And, like, keyed isn't a word I would use for that, but it's the one they use in this book. Mm-hmm. And like, this isn't really about linguistics at all. Right. Yeah, it's kind of it's company wars, I think. Yeah, I haven't read this book in a while. Yeah, but um, yeah, so you can you can kind of do that. Not say easily, but like you can make it part of the world building without being about it. If that makes sense. And so, when you're thinking about like representing these different dialect differences how do you feel about it's not uncommon for authors to like take a real world english dialect and use that to represent a a dialect of whatever world they're doing how do you feel like about things like that like the these places where where you're like using the stereotypes and associations in the real world to mm-hmm. reflect the the other world. I have complicated feelings on that. Because <laughs> um, like when I read that, I'm just kind of sometimes depending on the context, I guess, I get irritated by it. Um, mm-hmm. Like I dialect is just one of those things that's just sort of out of fashion for a good reason I, I, right I, now. I it's it's not great but so on the topic of i i dialect when you have people who are from that dialect writing in their own dialect and spelling it writing in their dialect that's a different matter than being like writing henry iggins or whatever because that's that's what i'm i'm talking about right like henry iggins oh henry iggins just you white the rhyme and spine falls mildly on the pline. You write it like that. The the the. I mean, there there. That's a story that was about that particular dialect. Yes, but like that was the, the thing with that example. I dialect. And um, if if people aren't familiar with the term, I dialect is where you respell words in order to reflect pronunciation in another dialect. Um, although I mean that's that's the the basic point, although sometimes I question whether the, the respellings are actually necessary for that, because sometimes mm-hmm. they, they like, I've seen your spelled as Y-O-R-E, and I'm like, what exactly is the different pronunciation that they're trying to represent? But um, Of, of your. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But um, basically, 
This was very common in like 19th century and early 20th century oh, literature. It's all it over the place happens. in Dickens. Yeah. It it still happens in a lot of places, but um, to me, it's like an unnecessary barrier to your reader because like I see it and I don't know how to pronounce this stuff. Hmm. And also like it often gets into like stereotyped and stuff. It, mm. It's really interesting to see historical examples because I have seen like where you have like what and it's spelled W apostrophe A-T. So that was telling somebody uh, that it was um, not what. Yeah. It's uh, telling somebody that the default expected by the author was the what Whereas, like, nowadays people might do the opposite and do, like, HW for someone who mm -hmm. actually says what instead yeah. of what. But, uh, you know, it's interesting in a historical perspective if you, like, research it. But, like, maybe try not to do that, especially if your dialects you're doing are not actually English. Yeah, or your own, because there's been... <clears throat> There were two, two or three stories in the Nebula nominees this year, uh, the Nebula Award Science Fiction Writers of America. Um, mm -hmm. Those are Nebula Awards every year, in case no one knows. Um, and at least two of them were written by black writers that had that were written in their particular variety of English, and it was great because yeah they were represent it, it, it's when it's written by a black writer it's underrepresented when it's written by a white writer who's kind of being a stereotyping not yeah. super great so there there's there is fine grain distinct like like there's a, it's a what's the word it's not black and white i don't want to say it's not black and white but it's it's not black and white yeah i mean uh and if you're going to represent if you're going to be like in the real world and represent um, a real world dialect or um, I mean, there's there's cases where things that look like I dialect aren't actually like uh, also because like there there are these conventional spellings that are used mm -hmm. for African-American English. There's also like people people do write in Scots with Scots mm -hmm. spellings and things like that. Mm -hmm. I think in those cases, it's like consult with someone who actually speaks it. <laughs> yes. Yes. If you do not yourself speak that language, please but contact someone who does. It might not be something to like grab for your fantasy culture, but uh, yeah, no. wrapping up here. So mm -hmm. the Kickstarter is coming up. Everybody, August 15th, Check that out. Get this book out because it will be useful to writers. It'll be useful to a lot of people. Um, and I think I think that a lot of pe people listening may want to, you know, hear a perspective on, you know, how to incorporate some like sociolinguistics and and world world building of like the stuff around your language into things. Uh, so go check that out and uh, 
uh, Connie, mm-hmm. do you have any final thoughts, final advice before we tap out? It's kind of in general or about the topic? Or... Well, I mean, yeah, just like uh, any advice about linguistic world building that you would like people to, to stick with people here. Uh, there was one, I did a little Q&A and there was one I thought of and I can't remember what it is right now. If you're coming up with names for a culture, coming up with for people, places, and things, and it, you're looking at the letters and it looks like a bad Scrabble hand, start over. Um, but <laughs> like kind of think about that sounds that make sense together, right? Not that make sense together, but like if you have like Girardelli, there's like a little bag of Girardelli chips right here, and like cherry, they probably don't come from the same language, right? Mm-hmm. They don't sound very similar to each other. But like, also, that's a really bad example because cherry comes from Cerise, which is French. So it's more closely related to Italian than English. But it was just two things I had closest to hand. <laughs> or like bottle. Bottle and Girardelli. Don't sound very familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or flask. Come with better examples. I'm I'm really bad at improvising. Um, this is why I'm a writer, not an improvisational speaker. Um, but like, readers may or may not notice if you do that. But if the if a reader does notice that it's being consistent and the names sound like they could plausibly come from the same place, or like follow at least the same rules of phonetics. Like same syllable structure, same allowable um, consonant clusters, if they're allowed at all, all that sort of thing. People might, if if they don't notice, fine. If they do notice, they will love you for it, right? Mm-hmm. Be like, oh my gosh, they made the words that make sense. It sounds like it's from the same language. And like, if you borrow words, change them a little bit. So, like, we don't say tsunami. In English, we say tsunami. Right. We say angst. We say angst. Right. We don't say zeitgeist. We say zeitgeist. But everything matches the phonology yeah. and phonetics of the of the recipient language. Well, that's that's uh, useful advice, and you've I you've hope so. you've said a lot of useful advice today. And oh, good. Uh, I am excited for that book. I hope I can get a review copy. <laughs> sure but uh well let's let's uh everybody go i will link to that in the show notes or the description on youtube to the kickstarter for when it goes live and we're going to uh and um check out the column over on tour as well it's got a lot of useful uh, information, you know, well, reviews of books that people listening to this podcast or watching this podcast probably will be interested in. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, you also have your YouTube channel. So, um, we can, we can send people to that too. So, uh, thank you, Connie, for being on the show. And thanks for having uh, me. Yeah, and uh, thank everyone else for listening or watching and our patrons for for funding this show. And I'm going to say happy conlaying.
Special thanks goes to our patrons, Mintaka, Connor Stewart Rowe, Kenan Kigunda, Viren Patrick, Graham Hill, Kay, Jesse, Sylvia Sotomayor, Jeremiah, Alexis Hugelman, Artifexian Soten, Nicholas Norblad, Eloivar Jana Mentuleum, Sigourney Hunter, Jack Keynes, Braca Grunk, Grammar. Conlangery's theme music is by Null Device. Conlangery is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 4.0 International License.